Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. This episode of the Healthy Project podcast is sponsored to you by St. Croix Hospice Care. St. Croix offers hospice care and comfort tailored to you and your family's individual needs. Their goal is to help you focus on your quality of life and to not be limited by your diagnosis. At St. Croix Hospice, they ensure that hospice care is provided to you in a way that brings you dignity, respect, and compassion on your terms. They offer end-of-life care and advocacy to you and your family and caregivers across Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri. If you have any questions or want to learn more about St. Croix Hospice Care, go to their website at www.stcroixhospicecare.com. I'll spell that for you. That's www.stcroixhospicecare.com. I-X-H-O-S-P-I-C-E dot com. All right, y'all enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a special guest in the building today, Holly Berkey with St. Croix. Holly, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, we've got we've gotten to chat and connect a little bit, you know, over the past couple of weeks. I think it's about what a month and a half, maybe a couple. We've, we've been connected for a while though, actually. I think so. It's time kind of gets away. I think yeah, COVID it does. Has changed um, our concept of time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it would be great. It's great to have you on the podcast. You know, with what you do, because there. I mean, as you already know, there are a lot of misconceptions about hospice. There's some really great aspects to hospice and you know why it's important so just you know i'm excited for the conversation so but before we get started you know just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and you know what you do and, and how you got to where you're at now yeah thank you well you know i've been in healthcare for about 20 years which seems weird i turned 40 this year so again the concept of time is is different as you get older but um so i've worked in hospice and home care a couple different times i've worked for health systems kind of in marketing business development physician relations type roles i've also worked in managed care so i've worked for humana united healthcare and i've also worked for um, orthopedic surgeons and i've done medical sales i've worked for lab core so kind of a little bit of everything And honestly, um, I think for me, my big passion is really serving others and community outreach and education around all things, but especially related to uh, folks in the aging population and especially end of life. I think, as you said, it's something that's very misunderstood. It's scary. There's a lot of stigma around it. It's something that when we think about it with our family members, it also reminds us of our own mortality, I think. And we don't like things we can't control, I think, as human beings. So that's really my my passion and my drive is to help educate and 
provide people with resources and tools so that they can make the best decisions that they can. Um, so then when, when they or someone that they love is in that situation, they're not making decisions in crisis mode. Um, I think like a lot of things with healthcare, we tend to attack the disease and we kind of ignore the person. And so I think especially when it comes to hospice care, it's a time where it's really around what their goals are and what they want out of, you know, their last year, their last few months of their life or their last weeks and even their last hours. And so that's really what hospice is designed to do. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there are choices when it comes to hospice and um, there are questions you can ask your doctor and, you know, people in your community um, to help educate yourself so you can make good decisions. You know, just a, you know, a basic overview, overview, like, like for that person that you were talking about that has, you know, maybe elderly mother, father, someone like what, what is hospice? Like what, what should they be looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, hospice is a Medicare benefit. So a lot of people, when they think of it, um, it is a Medicare hospice benefit. It's been around for since the eighties. And it really is a concept of care. And really what it is designed to do is help bring comfort and dignity to someone at the end of their life. Now, from a Medicare perspective, Technically, what it what it is, is that someone has a terminal diagnosis, which legally means they have six months or less to live. Even the smartest physician and nurse and, um, you know, only God himself knows when our last days are going to be. Um, but in terms of being able to have like a starting point, um, Medicare requires six months or less to live if the disease runs its normal course. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of variability in all the different disease states and everybody, even with the same disease or diagnosis is very different. There's a lot of uh, factors, including their, their lifestyle, where they live, if they have a support system around them, if they've got family, if they're in a facility versus at home. Ultimately, though, the biggest thing is that hospice is available for those that have Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance. Um, Most hospices also have an option for those that don't have a typical payer source. Um, There are different rules and processes around that related to charity care or using foundation dollars or whatever to take care of people. Um, And St. Croix definitely is one of those. So what people look at, I guess, when they're thinking about, gosh, how would I know? And I think the biggest thing is thinking about what was grandma or grandpa or mom or dad doing a couple months ago that they're not doing now? Or on the flip side, uh, from a behavior standpoint, is there something that they started doing that they didn't used to do? Maybe like more outbursts or just not being themselves. I would say that's something that we hear a lot is, you know, we can't quite put our finger on it. Our doctor hasn't really diagnosed mom or dad with this or with that, but they're just something just isn't right. So sometimes there are markers and indicators and triggers, if you will, that we can look at uh, from a clinical perspective and see that this person is losing weight. They are not participating in their normal activities of daily living that they were a few months ago. Um, Maybe they've had a lot of falls or they've had a lot of UTIs or hospitalizations or things like that. There are some Mm -hmm. definite uh, factors that you can look at that have a number attached to them that we can look at. 
But there's also a lot of what we call silent triggers that really tell us more. And again, that's where I think the family and those around um, somebody that might be potential for hospice care really come into play because, you know, the doctor is a big piece of that. And that's really where we look to uh, folks like yourself that are, you know, you're talking to somebody about their goals of care. What are their wishes, not only today, but in the future? As I mentioned a little bit ago, up until a certain point, I guess, in someone's disease progression, especially when we talk about cancer, COPD, things like that, we're really targeting their disease. I mean, everything they do is around their disease. Mm -hmm. And okay, we're going to try this. We're going to try that. And then when when it comes to hospice care, we really try to turn that around and really put the patient and their family at the center of that circle versus the disease itself. And obviously anybody in healthcare knows that, you know, the patient is always at the center, but I think with hospice care, it really gives them a little more sense of control over what they really want their death to look like and how they want that experience to feel. And it seems like a really strange thing, but when you think about it, you know, we plan our weddings, we plan the births of our babies and what their rooms right. are going to look like. And when you think about regardless of culture or anything, like we plan stuff. And um, a lot of people even plan their their funerals before they pass away. And I think a lot of times people don't really think about what will my death look like, ideally. You know, do I want music playing? Do I want to be by myself? Do I want to be surrounded by my loved ones, you know, in my own bed, in my own house? Do I want to be in a nursing home? Even if I'm in a nursing home at first, do I, when it, when it comes time for me to, you know, go into hospice care, what, what does that, what do I want that to look like? So we really help people a lot with advanced care planning and that process really ideally starts before maybe they're even eligible for hospice. So when we talk to like physicians, nursing home administrators, directors of nursing at facilities, and even families and patients, we say, don't worry about that six month mark. I mean, that is a Medicare requirement that our admissions nurses can worry about. And there are certain things that we need to meet to establish those criteria. But in terms of making that call, we would much rather evaluate somebody several times and kind of meet them where they're at rather than having, you know, that middle of the night call, they're in the ER and they come on to hospice services. Granted, there's something to be said for the benefit of that, there's something to be gained, right? but ideally we want to provide services and support to the patient and their family for a longer period of time. And that includes, you know, nursing visits, aid visits, social worker, chaplain. We have massage therapy, music therapy. Now, not everybody wants everything that we offer and that's fine. Um, Some people originally decline certain things, but then as they progress closer to the point of really transitioning, they change their mind. We look a lot at pain management um, in hospice. And as, as you know, there's very, there's a lot of different types of pain. 
And as somebody is passing, you know, whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, both, there's different ways of managing that. And we, we try to manage and support all of those. And sometimes we see people, we actually had a gentleman a couple of weeks ago that was just having a lot of issues, especially at night. His wife was really burned out. The kids were burned out. He was getting a little bit more feisty and um, difficult to manage. And he was frustrated that he was frustrated. And I asked him, I said, you know, how do you, how do you like music? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you like, you know, massage? How would you feel about massage? Like, do you care if someone put, would put lotion on your hands or your shoulders or something like that? And he kind of looked at me at first and then he's like, yeah, music is okay. And he's like, yeah, we could try that. And the wife had said after the music therapist and the massage therapist had been there separately, um, he had had the best night's sleep he had had in a while. And I just thought, wow, that really kind of, to me, brought everything home that we really are a team. And everything we do as a hospice organization really ties together to bring that family and that patient peace and comfort during a time that could otherwise maybe be, it's taking a bad situation and making it a little bit better. I mean, we obviously, nobody wants to lose their loved one, but if we can make that process a little bit easier or smoother, helping them to know what's normal and explain to them why their loved one maybe isn't eating anymore or why their loved one is expressing certain things, or maybe why they want a little bit of time alone. It's all very much a part of, of what we do to make it a smoother, smoother sale, if you will. Until I started working in the clinical setting, like I never really knew what hospice was. Like I knew that, you know, you went there when you're old, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't know, like, I didn't understand it until I started working in, you know, a, a clinical setting and really until mm-hmm. I started doing like the, having those advanced directive conversations with, you mm-hmm. know, with patients. And I'm not going to lie to you. It was really awkward. Like it's really uncomfortable having that conversation, even though, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, I have to do it. It's like, man, I really don't want to ask them about this. Um, but after a while, it's like, man, this is, this is important because we, we want to be comfortable as we as we live and you know you you want your loved ones to be comfortable but when, mm-hmm. when you look at it that way this may be a, this may be an awkward conversation i mean i want to have it some people may still be a little bit in denial of like what's going right. on with their loved one i mean it's someone you've cared about your whole life but you still you still want them to be comfortable right mm-hmm. you still want them to be able to just kind of rest as and be as well as they can as they go on yes and it's it's super important You're so right. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of like, we meet people where they are. I mean, I know that's one of kind of an overused term, but truly, I mean, I think when it comes to hospice, probably more than anything else, but even with what you do in health coaching, I mean, it's, you got to meet them where they're at or it's not going to work. And it has to be maybe not their idea. That might be a little, little too far the other way, but they really need to buy into what it is that you're doing. You know, and it has to be something where they see the value in it, if not for themselves, for their family, whether it's quitting smoking or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. losing weight, Mm -hmm. you know, choosing a healthier lifestyle. In this case, just having the conversation. And I'll tell you a couple of things you mentioned. One, a lot of people think hospice is a place that you go to die. (laughs) Now, I will tell you, there are hospice houses. There are places where you go. I've been to them. They're wonderful, but it is a level of care that you need to meet requirements in order to be there or uh, pay privately. The majority of people on hospice care 
we go wherever home is to them, whether that's an apartment, their house they've lived in for 50 years, a nursing home, assisted living, independent living, all those things. So wherever home is for them, maybe they live, live with a friend or a family member or a child or a grandchild. So wherever that is for them, we formulate a care, a care plan for them that includes where they're going to be. Um, so that's the first probably myth that comes up a lot is it's a place you go. And people are like, well, I don't want to go to hospice because I want to stay in my house. And then we explain that we we come to you. You know, it's, you right. know, we, we literally bring care to your doorstep, kind of like Amazon or somebody like that. Like we, we bring it to you kind of back like in the old days when the doctor used to come and do house calls. I mean, that's really kind of what what we do. It's really kind of bringing things full circle. Um, another thing that you mentioned is just having the conversation. And I will say a lot of physicians in particular have told me, nurse practitioners, people in various you know areas of medicine will say, I get it. I support it. I'm all for it. But I either A, they'll either say, A, I don't have time to have the conversation because I know if I bring it up, I'm going to be in there for a while. Or two, I didn't really learn about this in school and I'm really not comfortable with it. Now, there are a lot of physicians that are and a lot of um, healthcare providers that I've seen have the conversation and I'm just in awe every time I see it. Where we want to provide support though is for the ones that aren't, you know, and quite frankly, just give us a call when you're even thinking someone might be appropriate because we can determine if they're eligible and all that stuff, but help provide tools and resources so that families and patients can be their own advocates, like everything. This day and age, you can Google about anything. But for all the answers that are out there, there are also some myths, um, as you know. Right. And so it's really finding a way to have a conversation with your trusted provider and just be real frank and ask them to do the same. Um, and we have tools and resources for providers, for patients, for people that are even just doing advanced care planning. They don't necessarily have a terminal diagnosis and nobody ever plans it. Um, but for those especially that do have a terminal diagnosis, that's usually like definitely something where, you know, your goals of care and the hospice conversation and that advanced care planning discussion should start. But even just if, if you've had a, a birthday you know, it might be a specific date or you're putting your will together or you're thinking about moving out of the house that you've lived in because it's just getting to be too much or a spouse passes away and somebody thinks, gosh, we probably need to talk about what we're going to do for when this happens with mom. What I hear probably the most more than anything, though, is that I, I wish I would have known about this sooner. That is by far, we've hear, heard it from physicians and providers. We've heard it from patients and families. I think that's probably the biggest reason why I do what I do is, you know, if I can be just a small part in helping them to better understand how we can help them and what we can do for them. A lot of people just really don't understand that because it's a Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance benefit. I mean, it's, it's free. You know, it's something that we provide to them and they have worked for it. It's something that they deserve as they approach that time in their life. And, you know, it covers things like the visits that I talked about, 
Um, those visits can vary in length and frequency depending on what the needs of the patient are, but also it can pay for medications related to their hospice diagnosis. It can pay for certain equipment. Now, it's all, some, it's all stuff that's really determined by our RN case manager and is you know case by case, but it can pay for things like oxygen or um, a hospital bed or a commode, or a shower chair, things like that, right. that they maybe wouldn't be able to either afford or wouldn't have necessarily thought to get until they've gotten to this point. So again, it's really just a matter of trying to figure out how do we meet them where they're at and make sure that they fully understand what's available to them so that when the time comes, they feel comfortable. Right, right. What are some other misconceptions that people have about hospice that just really aren't true or maybe kind of true, but not, not exactly how people are thinking about it. What are some of those misconceptions? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, I think probably the biggest one, like I said, is that they wish they would have thought about it sooner. Another one is um, really around that. It's a place. Mm -hmm. Um, I I hear a lot. People will say, well, if, if we go on hospice, then that our loved one is going to think we're giving up on them. You know, it is a change of the way you think about life. So it's a matter of depending on a person's situation and what their diagnosis is. Now, I will tell you with St. Croix in particular, we don't require that somebody have a DNR or a do not resuscitate in place in order to be on hospice care. But what we will do is have a conversation around why it would be a good idea to discuss what that is really what do they want to happen? Should their heart stop? Should this happen or that happen? And I mean, we've, most of us have heard about, you know, in Iowa, it's iPost, you know, a living will, Um, there's financial decisions, there's medical decisions, there's durable power of attorney. There's so many things you can do now just online. And we help with a lot of that, even if someone doesn't have it, our social workers are phenomenal at you know, helping people get that stuff together. And it's just a small part of what we do, but that's probably the biggest thing we hear is that I'm just not, I'm just not ready to give up on mom yet. And so what we'll say is, you know, we're not here to, t- we're not here to hasten anything. We're, but we're also not really slowing it down either. So kind of an example that really to me kind of brings it home is if somebody has been through various rounds of chemo and radiation, they're sick more than they're well, and they're not able to enjoy things that they used to enjoy. That person makes the decision like, I just, I really don't want to do this anymore. I want to enjoy the time that I have left. I want to eat something that doesn't make me sick. Maybe they have a favorite meal or, you know, whatever it might be. The focus becomes about them and not, not what are we going to do about this cancer? or What are we going to do about this heart disease? But it becomes about how do how does mom or dad or grandpa or grandma want to live their last few months, few weeks, few days, right. whatever that might be? For me, that really it's a it's a hard question, but it's not always about us. So we have to listen to our loved ones and really think about what do they want. And God forbid um, you're in that situation where your loved one isn't able to make that decision, even with a durable power of attorney in place, it's still a lot. I mean, it's a heavy burden to have to make decisions for people that aren't able to or can't communicate those wishes, you know, 
because they're intubated or, you know, whatever the case might be. So obviously it's like, you know, what's the best time to plant a tree, you know, a year ago right? or, or today. Right. And it's kind of the same thing I would say with hospice or any, anything else that we're talking about with healthcare or anything, the sooner, the better. And in a lot of cases now hospice is different in that not everybody qualifies. I mean, there are certain rules that, that dictate, you know, when we can be on board with services. There are also, we have people that are with us for a few hours. We have people that come on and off of our services because they, they get better or they decide to kind of hit the pause button and pursue maybe a new treatment that their doctor told them about, or they want to try something, or they maybe want to do one more round of chemo or whatever the case might be. And then we maybe pick them back up again down the road. Uh, We also have have people that are with us for a period of time and then they graduate and we don't see them for a few years. And then, you know, well, they'll maybe come back around sometimes even with a different diagnosis than maybe what they originally were with us for. It's, it's interesting. People are different. And, you know, even as I said, with the same diagnosis, people's journeys are different. People's goals are different. Um, The family dynamics, I would say, is probably one of the bigger factors um, that we can help with is just helping answer questions. All families feel differently about death. I think when we think about culturally, just where people are from, where they live, one thing that I do see that's consistent across a lot of different cultures is food. And as someone gets to an end-of-life transition, if they were eating and they're stopping eating, it's kind of the body's way of slowing down and shutting right. down. And that it doesn't happen overnight usually. And that's really hard for families because I think we, ha- we have a culture of if you're sick, you eat chicken noodle soup. And if right. you know somebody has a baby, you take them a casserole or, you know, different things like that. And so I think food is a sense of comfort for us, not just for ourselves, but as a way of showing love to other people. And so when our loved ones are not eating, especially when they used to really enjoy eating, I know for me with my grandpa, I was very close with him. That was something that really, you know, I knew it. Like I said, I think it's always different when it's your own family, but he liked to eat and, you know, he just, nothing sounded good. And he, Mm. you know, I, I knew what was happening. It doesn't make it any easier knowing and being able to educate people on here's what's happening you can get as clinical or non-clinical as you want to. And I think some people want to know every little detail about what's going on and other people just want to know that you're, it's being taken care of or that it's okay. Right. And that's really what we're here to do, uh, whether it's our nurse, our aide, our social worker. I mean, everybody is there to really embrace and kind of come around that family and that patient to make sure they have the best possible situation that they can come, even though the outcome isn't desirable and that they're losing their loved one. And that's why we say, you know, we're there when you need us the most. I mean, if there isn't a more precious time than when you leave this earth close second being, you know, coming in, I mean, it's really, it's really like the full circle thing, truly. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And I I will say I've, I've seen, I've been at the bedside of people that, that have passed away and it's, it's been difficult to watch things could have gone better. And I've been at the bedside of people where it was beautiful and the family felt very at peace and that you could tell the patient was at peace. 
I, I hope and wish that for, for everyone to be able to have that option. Obviously, a lot of it depends on what's happening with them physically and how we're able to manage various symptoms physically and emotionally and all that. And everybody's different, but that's why it takes a team in a village, as they say, to, you know, come around people and try to make that as positive as, as it can possibly be. All right. So, you know, Holly, is there, what's the difference between, or is there even a difference between palliative care? Am I saying that right, Pat? Palliative, palliative care. care. Palliative. I've heard it both ways. I think <laughs> palliative care. And hospice. Is there a difference or, you know, what, if there is, you know, what is it? It's a great question. You know, it's one of those things. I think if you ask 10 people, you might get variations of the answer. My understanding, quite frankly, is that palliative care is really something that's provided at the hospital level for the most part. And it's really um, a way to capture and help provide comfort care to somebody that maybe doesn't necessarily qualify for hospice yet. Mm. The family hasn't been approached about hospice. It's sort of like a catch-all. You know, and right now there's there's really not a payer source um, to reimburse for palliative care in the traditional sense. So really it's a kind of a bridge between somebody who is really trying to decide if they, again, want to pursue whatever course of treatment. And if it's if they choose kind of the aggressive treatment route they can still maybe have somebody follow them maybe from like a palliative care team at a hospital. And again, I'm not going to speak for, for anyone that, you know, works in that because it looks different for different people and different hospitals and that sort of thing. But having done this for a long time and having worked for with hospital systems that provide those services is it's a close, it's like a brother, sister, or like a cousin to each mm. other. It's just a little bit different. So it's really more around where that care is provided and what the goal is. So if somebody is eligible for hospice, that I would say that triggers, you know, for them to switch over to us. Okay. If they're on palliative care, it's either because they are still pursuing aggressive treatment. They're still in the hospital. Um, they're maybe doing some skilled therapy at a nursing home or a rehabilitation facility or something like that, which really kind of, I don't want to say kicks them out, but sort of puts them in a different bucket um, in terms of what their goals are. Obviously, with anything, there are gray areas. So sometimes there are there are ways for somebody to be on hospice care and still have certain things in place. Um, and as long as they are approved by a physician, and it's part of their care plan, and it's considered for comfort, not necessarily for a curative purpose. Um, sometimes there's ways around that. But as a general rule, um, I would say palliative care is more something that's provided kind of on an interim basis. And it's usually just kind of keeping an eye on somebody and making sure you know that they're comfortable and you're checking in on what their wishes are. Kind of that transition time mm -hmm. as they're you know, approaching those decisions. So definitely a lot of overlap, conceptually very similar, yet different. If that right. answers your question. Yeah, yeah. About as clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, over the past year, you know, a lot of things have changed in the COVID-19. What did that look like, you know, during the pandemic? Yeah, it's a really good now. question. Um, I would say probably the biggest thing is, you know, when nursing homes are closed and, you know, 
the only people that can be in there are the people that work there. And that includes, you know, no families. Obviously, that means no hospice staff for the most part. Now, there were obviously exceptions made if somebody is imminently dying or whatever. But, you know, in terms of coming in and providing education or, you know, really doing anything proactive, I would say that became more challenging because I think everybody was really in crisis mode, to be honest with you, Um, especially for the ones where they had active outbreaks and people were getting, you know, sick and dying. And, you know, it's, it was a scary time, still is a scary time. Knock on wood, I feel like we're starting to round the corner, dare I say. But I, I also think it really helped us to really decide and think about what our, you know, goals are for how and where to serve folks. Um, And I would say, you know, historically, a lot of our referrals came from probably the long-term care setting. Obviously, that varies a lot by region and there's a variety of factors, but I would say, you know, here in the Des Moines metro area, for sure, um, a better percentage of our referrals came from long-term care. Now, I would say we're starting to see maybe more from the community, more physician-based or clinic-based where people are coming in and maybe they haven't been to the doctor for a year and their doctors are like, whoa, what's happening here? You know, and again, they're seeing weight loss or they're coming in for what they think is their annual wellness check and they've lost 20 pounds since last time they were there. And, you know, maybe their blood work is all over the place. I mean, again, everybody's different. Um, so again, I think that where is where it becomes really important that we educate um, everyone to know what questions to ask their doctor. Um, if you're ever in doubt, you know, just be your own advocate and you know educate yourself on anything, whether that be advanced directives, hospice care, palliative care, home care. When I worked in home care, I mean, it was it was very similar where people were like, "Gosh, I don't even know where to begin." And I'll tell you, we we actually partner really well with home care agencies because a lot of times if somebody needs us, uh, we're typically not there 24-7. We're available 24-7, but we're not there 24-7. So depending on somebody's level of care needs, they might benefit. And a lot of people do benefit from having a private caregiver that's managed by, you know, an organization that has liability insurance so that, you know, the family is protected and all of that. Um, there's a lot of great private caregivers too, um, but there's also you know agencies that do really, really good work and we partner well with them because they provide a service in addition to what we do. They're very complimentary and they help keep somebody at home. Um, as I said earlier, it really does take a village sometimes. And so really pointing people to different options. Um, all of us that work in healthcare, especially here in Des Moines, I would say we're definitely part of part of a club and part of a, um, a community that we want to support each other and give people, you know, a chance to make decisions, provide them with some answers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Holly, you know, thank you so much for being on today. I really, really appreciated it. Also- thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem. If anybody wanted to get a hold of you listening and, you know, where can they reach you at, you know, you know, where can they find you? Absolutely. Great question. So we actually have offices um, all over the Midwest. Our company started back in 2008 
And we have multiple branches in not only in Iowa, but across the Midwest. So um, here, um, our local offices is our Ankeny branch, which is where I'm out of. And you can reach us at stcroyhospice.com. And um, my email address is hberkey, B-I-R-K-E-Y, at stcroyhospice.com. And that's just S-T-C-R-O-I-X, hospice.com. Or you can call me at 515 240-0377. Awesome. Happy to provide any any answers, um, resources. If somebody's looking for somebody to come and provide information for a group of seniors or families or anybody, um, even outside of healthcare, like we're we're here to support and provide education around a variety of topics, including hospice. Holly, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And and everybody, thank you for listening. I'll holler at you next time.